0: All right, good morning and welcome to Plum Creek, everybody. Uh, we are glad that you are here and we're excited about the beginning of this new series called Overflow. But before I say anything else today, I want to ask you something. It's a question that only you can answer. And Here it is. What do you want to get out of church? I mean, For whatever reason, you decided to be here today, and in my opinion, I think you made a great decision, but I'm still curious. What is it that you want to get out of church? Why why did you come this morning? Now this question may seem a little broad, so I'll make it multiple choice. Two options. Option A is that you want to leave here feeling better. You want to feel better about yourself or about some situation in your life. So that's one possibility. But here's the second choice. Option B is that you want to come to church and feel challenged or even confronted, called to step up. So those are two choices. Which one would you pick? Do do you want to, to feel comforted or confronted? Which one of those matches where you're coming from? Now, if you know your answer, hold on to that because I want to come back to this question and ask it in a slightly different way. What do you need to get out of church? So this time, we're sort of asking about God's perspective. What would God say that you need? Would He say that you need comfort, that you need to feel better about whatever it is that's bringing you down? Or would God say it's time for you to be challenged, or confronted, or called to step up? I would love to hear your individual answers to these questions. You're welcome to share those with me later, but this brings up an interesting idea, doesn't it? Because when you and I come to church, we bring all kinds of different expectations and wants, but what is it that we really need? Now, I never want to assume that I know what God would say, but in this case, I think I can answer this question. What do you need to get out of church? What do I need? The answer is, it depends on the person and it depends on the day, right? Take today, for example, on this particular Sunday, some of us here need to be confronted. But some of us need to be comforted. Some of us need to hear from God that everything is going to be okay. But some of us need to hear that things are not okay right now. We've been heading in the wrong direction, and it's time to change. The problem is, from where I stand up here, it's very difficult to look across this room and figure out exactly who needs comfort and who needs confrontation. I can't make that call, because I'm not God. And that's exactly why I never want to preach a sermon that is not based on God's Word. I'm only human. So I don't trust in my opinions or my feelings or my advice, and you shouldn't either because I've been known to make some bad calls. So the only reason I'm willing to stand up here and preach is because I believe in the truth of the Bible. I believe that God gave Scripture to us as a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. The Word of God tells us what's right and what's wrong, what's true, and what's false. But now, I know that many people have doubts about the Bible, and if that's you and you'd like to know some of the reasons why we believe that this book is from God, you could submit that as a question for our series in October called You Ask For It. But for many of us here today, we've made our call We believe in the truth of Scripture. We believe that God speaks through the Bible, and He will tell you exactly what you need to hear. Sometimes you'll get a message that makes you feel better. Other times, though, you'll get your feathers ruffled. Be prepared for that. But today, as we begin this new series, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture And as I read here, I've got a mission for you. I want you to try to figure out what God is specifically saying to you through this passage. I've been asking that myself uh, as I've studied this week. So this passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. We're reading the words of Jesus here, and these words come from a well-known sermon called The Sermon on the Plain. Now, you may have heard of the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew chapter 5. And both of these two messages have a lot in common. In fact, some people think these two passages are really just the same sermon. But I think it's more likely that Jesus preached similar material on two different occasions. Because the message would have applied to each audience. But today, we are the audience. So let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 6, and we'll start with verse 43. Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So first of all... You see where we got the title for this series in that last verse there. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. But overall, this teaching is just classic Jesus. He uses common everyday objects, like trees, to make deep spiritual points. I'm so glad he does this because I'm kind of slow sometimes. But Jesus makes the wisdom of God accessible to all of us. I mean, this, this isn't hard to understand, is it? Uh, we understand that the type of tree you plant tells you what kind of fruit you're going to get. So if you want apples, you better plant apple trees. If you want oranges, plant orange trees. We totally get that. And it's not a, deep, it's not a big leap to make the spiritual connection either. If you're talking about people, our fruit would be our words and our actions, Your fruit is the best indication of what kind of tree you are. If you're a bad tree, we'll see that by the way you live. We'll see you mistreat others. We'll see you you tear people down with your words. But if you're a good tree, we'll see that too. We'll see it in your kindness and your compassion and your generosity. Now, so far, so good, right? But here's where it gets complicated. Remember that mission I gave you. I asked you to figure out what God is specifically saying to you through this passage. So what is He saying? Is He saying that you are one of the good trees and you are to be commended? Or is He saying that your words and your actions reveal that you are a bad tree and you need to change? Well, that's kind of difficult to determine, isn't it? After all, who among us has a perfect record? Is anyone here willing to proudly stand up and say, yep, that's me, seven days a week, all day, every day. I'm one of the few and one of the proud. I am a good tree. Anybody want to raise your hand on that one? But then what about that other side? We don't want to fall in that other camp either. Who wants to say, yeah, unfortunately, it's true. I'm not living the way I should all the time. So based on what Jesus taught here, I guess I'm a bad tree. Seriously, what does Jesus mean? Is this an either-or decision? He sounds so cut and dry here. A person is either good or evil. Simple as that. Is that really how it works? And and then what if you decide, no, I can't call myself good. Is it possible to change from a bad tree into a good tree? We know you can't just cut down bad fruit and then hang up good fruit and say, ta-da, now we have a good tree. No, in that scenario, all you have is a bad tree pretending to be a good tree. And people do try that. People do try to um, just change their behavior to show that, yeah, I'm good. They say, all right, I'll, I'll just buckle down. I'll, I'll do good things. I won't do bad things. And that's how I'll become a good person. But that doesn't work. Many of us know that by experience. If you just focus on those externals, just behavior modification, you're not really dealing with what's inside. That approach is destined for failure. But the good news is, that's not the only way to approach this. God does make it possible for a bad tree to become a good tree. That's what this whole series is about. It's about life change. And it comes back to that word overflow. Jesus said that your mouth speaks out of the overflow of your heart. And with that one little sentence there, he's given us another powerful image, hasn't he? It's like a a glass of water that is full to the point of overflowing. And I happen to have a glass of water right here. This particular glass is full of pure, clean drinking water, or tap water, but it's drinkable. I'll I'll show you. Ah, Yeah, that's good. It's very refreshing. Now, what happens, this is an obvious question, but what happens if I pour the water from this glass into the bowl? What's going to flow into the bowl? Well, it's that clean water, right? That's simple. We understand that. But I have another glass here, and this time I'm going to do something different. I'm going to add some of those bad characteristics that we may find inside of ourselves. For instance, this lemon juice here represents bitterness. Life gets hard sometimes, and and the difficulties of life can sort of get to us after a while, and, and we may respond by growing bitter and negative. So we'll pour some of this lemon juice in here. It's already getting cloudy. Some of us struggle with self-righteousness. We act like we're better than others. We may think that we're better than others. And, and this white vinegar represents that self-righteousness. It looks like water, but in reality, it stinks. But we'll pour some of that into. Some of us have anger issues. You speak, you act out of anger, and others get hurt. So this hot sauce represents that anger. I'll put that in here. We've got some Texas peat. It's kind of disgusting as it floats to the bottom there. Then you've got these dark things. Things like addiction, lust, hatred. Unfortunately, we may find some of these things inside of us too. So when we pour that in, we now have a glass that looks like swamp water. This is nasty. And if you think I'm going to take a sip out of this one, you're crazy. (laughs) So again, obvious question, but what will happen when I pour water from this glass into the bowl? That nasty concoction comes out. And I don't know if you can see, but the water that used to be pure in the bowl is now contaminated. We have a bad influence here. But this is what Jesus is saying. This is the point that he's making with that overflow statement. He says, whatever flows out of you came from inside of you. Now, let's apply this to our lives. I want you to think about something in your past, maybe a long time ago or recently. I want you to think of a time when you said something... And immediately, you regretted it. Might have been a moment of frustration, but these words just blurted out of you and they cut into somebody else. Maybe somebody you claimed to care about a lot. And then right after that happened, you asked yourself a question. You asked, where did that come from? Or think about a different example. Think about a a moment of weakness. When you chose to do something that was wrong. You knew it was wrong, but you did it anyway. And then afterwards, you asked yourself, where did that come from? Well, here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, it's no mystery. I know exactly where that came from. It came from inside of you. It came from your heart. So that's what this is about. Jesus says, this is a heart issue. And really, as we look at the Bible as a whole, We see that scripture talks a lot about your heart. Back in Proverbs chapter 4, we read this it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So we can see this verse in complete agreement with what Jesus taught, right? Everything flows from your heart. But now we have another layer here it says, Be careful. Guard your heart. Why? Because whatever goes into your heart has a direct impact on what flows out of it. So if you fill your mind and you fill your heart with all kinds of evil, don't be surprised when evil comes out. It's also true that if your heart is full of pain for whatever reason, even if it wasn't your fault, That pain is going to flow out somewhere, somehow, and if you're not careful, it can flow out in the form of hurting others or hurting yourself. So where does that leave us? Well, this issue of your heart is very deep. It's complex, and that's why we're taking four weeks to deal with this. But to get to some kind of landing point today, I'm going to give you an overview of just two things. I'll give you the problem and then the solution. Remember, the goal here is life change. Real heart change that leads to life change. But to get there, we have to start with the problem. And remember when we were trying to figure out if we were the good tree or the bad tree? Well, I have to shoot straight with you. We will never see real life change until we admit that we have all been that bad tree. We've all had that evil heart look at what the prophet Jeremiah says about the heart. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who can understand it? So we have this old prophet, Jeremiah, he's chiming in on this heart issue, and he adds yet another layer. He says that the human heart specializes in deception, and it's beyond cure. In other words, don't Trust the perspective that you get from your own heart. So, you better not follow the advice of all those movies and all those songs that tell you to follow your heart. That's actually the opposite of what you should do. If your heart says, Hey, I'm a pretty good person, don't trust it. On the other hand, if some voice in your heart says, You are hopeless, God would never want to have anything to do with you, don't trust that voice either. That voice is deceitful. Your heart will try to fool others, and it will try to fool you, too. Jesus refers to that deception back in Luke chapter 6. If, if we go to the passage we read earlier and back up two verses, Jesus says something that became quite famous. Let's read Luke 6, and we'll start with verse 41. Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you, you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So that's a very familiar teaching, right? Right? And we love to see Jesus going after hypocrites, don't we? We love to see Jesus confronting those people who go around with a judgmental spirit, criticizing others when they're no better than anybody else. They deserve to be confronted, don't they? But there's something we may have missed here. What did Jesus say to that hypocrite in verse 42? He said, you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. It's not just that hypocrites ignore their own faults. It's not just that hypocrites are are putting on a show and pretending that their faults don't exist. It's that they don't even see their faults. Now, how is that possible? I'll tell you how. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So that changes our view of a hypocrite, doesn't it? They don't have to be some evil pretender that's trying to fool everybody, trying to act like someone they're not. Uh, They certainly can be, but there's another possibility. A hypocrite could be someone who is just blind to their own faults, their own sins. They've deceived themselves. Their hearts are saying, don't worry, you're a good tree. But God is saying, nope, you're a bad tree. You know what that means? That means... I should be careful how I read this passage from Jesus. I shouldn't be quick to say, all right, Jesus, you go get them. Go get those bad hypocrites. Instead, I should be saying, God, is there something in my life that I fail to see right now? Is there a plank in my eye? Are you trying to tell me something? Are you trying to point out a a fault in me and I just haven't been willing to listen? And the sad thing is, even as we pray those kinds of prayers, our hearts will try to convince us that we don't have a plank, a speck maybe, but surely not a plank. I was thinking about the many examples of this phenomenon that we see in the world around us. I was thinking about the Me Too movement and this long list of abusers who, for a long time, kept up a public image of being fairly decent human beings. I'm convinced that many of these abusers had bought into that public image. They really believed they were decent human beings, or at the very least, sympathetic. Now It is disturbing to hear any of these stories, but it's especially disturbing to know that sexual abuse has been all too common in the church setting. This past year has been riddled with scandals. I don't know if you follow church news, but... Many church leaders have been taken down. They've been exposed. And they were not who they portrayed themselves to be. The amount of denial and cover-up is shocking. It's tragic. Now, it's a good thing that these cases are finally coming into the open and they're being dealt with. But it's a terrible thing that so many people have been hurt. And so much damage has been done to the reputation of the church of Jesus. But speaking of Jesus, what would he say about all this? We know what he would say, don't we? He'd say, this is a heart issue. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. So the question for you and me today is, have we come face to face with our heart problem? Have we acknowledged that the human heart is deceptive, it's bent on depravity? And have we admitted that we'll never fix ourselves through behavior modification? Uh, We we can't just will ourselves to become that that good tree. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, I realize if you came to church hoping to be cheered up this morning, those verses may not be doing it for you. But hold on. We're still dealing with the problem. And you got to face the problem before you get to the solution. So what have we learned here? Who is the good tree? Apart from Jesus, no one is the good tree. Absolutely no one. But I just mentioned the key to this whole dilemma. Apart from Jesus, no one is the good tree. But with Jesus, any bad tree can become a good tree. So finally, it's time to talk about the solution. What do I do I do when I finally realize how sick my heart is Well, we can't solve this problem for ourselves. We need outside help. And what we need is a heart transplant. And God promised that he would do that. Way back in the book of Ezekiel, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. After they had been unfaithful to him, they had worshipped false gods. They kept falling into sinful behavior again and again. They were sick in their hearts too. But listen to what God said. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. God says in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So those words were spoken back in the Old Testament when Israel was still under the law system, the Old Covenant. And that system was all about behavior modification. It was all about trying to follow God's commands by sheer human effort. But that system never dealt with the heart. So God sends this message. He says, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to establish a new covenant. And under this new system, I will give you a brand new heart. Now when God spoke in Ezekiel 36, he was looking ahead years down the road to the coming of Jesus. And eventually, Jesus came and He lived a perfect life and He died a perfect death on the cross and He established this new covenant that makes it possible for us to have a new life. And with this new life, we don't just try harder to be a good person, we get a brand new heart. Your old heart doesn't run the show anymore. And with that heart change comes life change. Look at that promise that Jesus, uh, that, that God made. He said, I will put my spirit into you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about the fruit. He's, he's saying, your words and your actions will be different because they won't be flowing from your old heart. They'll be flowing from my spirit inside of you. And Jesus referred to this in John chapter 7 when he said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And then listen to this. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Streams of living water flowing from within. It's that overflow image again. And let's be clear. This is the only way to get that heart change that leads to life change. God will change your heart through Jesus, and then He'll enable you to live differently by the power of the Holy Spirit. But listen, I totally get it if this seems confusing. Um, The idea of the Holy Spirit can be so mysterious to us. How does this work in practical terms? What's the difference between God's Spirit flowing from me and me just trying really hard to be a good person? That's a great question. And we're going to spend the rest of this series really explaining that. But for right now, let me close by giving you an image of what this looks like. Remember these glasses of water. We we need to go back over here for a second. I saw this illustration from a preacher named Michael Strickland, and this is really powerful. So you got this uh, glass of swamp water here. It's, It's nasty and gross, and this represents what we look like before we come to Christ. It's that old evil heart that's full of bitterness, anger, lust, whatever. But Then what does God promise to do? When we surrender our lives to Jesus, God promises to remove that old heart. And then he gives us a new heart. He replaces those old, nasty things with this new heart and and with His Spirit. Now, that's looking pretty good. Unfortunately, those of us who have given our lives to Christ, we've learned something. It doesn't take long after you begin this life-changing relationship with Jesus before you realize You're not done with some of those old struggles. You you still have to fight some of those old tendencies. And if if you had been dealing with bitterness in your old life, it'll start to creep back in. Same thing with self-righteousness or anger. And even those dark things that you were hoping to leave behind. They can creep back in. And then look look where we are. It's Back to that nasty water again. And this is sad because other people notice this too. It flows out. And people outside the church will sometimes look at someone claiming to be a Christian and they'll say, you're no different than we are. And that's not good, is it? Because this doesn't tell the story of a God who has the power to change someone's life. So, what do we do next? I'll tell you what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to just try to cover it up, try to hide it. And when we go out into the world, we say, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine. But we heard what Jesus said. It's not fine to ignore what's inside of us. So, what is the real solution? Well, we talked about that heart change. And you saw what it looks like when that, that old heart is removed, and, and God replaces it with something new and something pure. Well, guess what? That wasn't supposed to be a one-time event. That was supposed to be the beginning of a whole lifetime of being transformed by the Holy Spirit. So here's what needs to happen. We need to wake up every morning and go to God in humility and in faith, really believing that he has the power to change us. And and we need to listen to him speaking to us through his word. We need to go to him in prayer and say, God, I can't fix what's inside of me. I need you to make me new again. I need you to fill me with your spirit. Fill me with those streams of living water. And you remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, You know, anyone who believes in me, streams of living water will flow out of you. But you can see that those streams won't flow out of you unless the stream is first flowing into you. So we need to experience the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit on a daily basis, continually being renewed. And then look at this. That's clean water flowing out of there now. I'll take a sip of this one. It's good. And other people notice this too. When God's goodness is flowing out of a person, that really stands out. And somebody will will look at you and say, man, there's something different about you. How do I get what you have? And you know, a hypocrite will drive others away from Jesus. But someone who is overflowing with the goodness of God, that's the person who leads others to Jesus. And that's the image that I wanted to leave you with today. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to go into this in more detail. Because it is kind of challenging to, to figure out you know, how to surrender to the Holy Spirit and, and how that works. But I want you to know, God will change your heart through the power of Jesus. And He will enable you to live differently through the power of the Holy Spirit. You may find that comforting. You may find it challenging. But I know that you'll find that it's true. Let's pray. Father, I know that you see us today the way we really are. You see beyond any masks that we wear. You see into our hearts. And you know what we need. You know when we need comfort. And you know when we need confrontation. And I thank you, Lord, that you have made it possible for us to really change and become who you want us to be. But it's not by our own power. It's not by just trying hard. It's by your Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to surrender to that process, not just once, but every day. Lord, I pray that we will be a church that overflows with your goodness so that we can lead others to you through Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.